Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John speaks from the subject of, Who is Jesus to you? And now, here's today's message. Matthew 26 will be the first place that we start. It'll be just a minute before we get there, but that'll be the first place we start. If you didn't, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're welcome to jump on the Wi-Fi and use a mobile device. And we also have them on the screens in front of you. Matthew 26 is where we'll be starting. We'll read the scripture in just a moment. If, if you don't mind, let's bow our heads and just pray the Lord's blessing over this message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach briefly, obviously, about the cross, about the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus, challenge us today, and, and then we'll spend some time in prayer and in receiving communion together. That'll be the, that'll be the plan for this evening. Would you bow your heads, Father? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for everything that you suffered for us. Thank you. Thank you that you were faithful to fulfill the will of God. And Jesus, I thank you that not only were you faithful to fulfill the death and the burial, but you were also faithful to fulfill the resurrection. Lord, we eagerly anticipate being able to celebrate that on Sunday. But tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds and help us to recognize what you went through on the cross, help us to recognize its importance, and help us to make sure that we have our perspective right. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There was a fascinating movie uh, that I watched uh, about 10 years ago. It was called Vantage Point. I don't know if you ever saw it. Vantage Point. It was the story of a presidential assassination, it was, but it was told through the eyes, or an assassination attempt, it was told through the eyes of eight different people who witnessed it. The takeaway from that movie is that perspective matters. Perspective matters. What you see is determined by where you're standing, what your perspective is, what your lens is, what lens you're looking through. A few weeks ago, as I was reading through the biblical accounts of the crucifixion, the same thing hit me. Not everybody saw the same thing that that day. The, the facts that they observed, that they witnessed, might have been similar, but their comprehension of what they were looking at was completely different. Here's what I mean. Caiaphas, the high priest, saw the crucifixion differently than Mary, the mother of Jesus. Simeon, who was forced to carry the cross, saw it differently than the one who drove the nails in his hands and in his feet. There are many different ways to approach the crucifixion of Jesus. In years past, on, on Good Friday, uh, I focused on the facts. I focused on what happened and in what order. How intense was the pain for Jesus? 
What exactly what did he suffer? How significant were the injuries? What must it have been like for Jesus? And that's appropriate. There's a time and a place for that. And there's merit to understanding and spending some time reflecting on what it was like for Jesus. It's hard to get a grasp of the depth of the sacrifice that he made for us if you don't take some time to put yourself in his place. If you don't take some time to think about what he went through. But tonight, I don't want to focus so much on the what as on the why and the what now. You see, pretty much everyone experienced the same facts. They know what happened. What they don't all agree on is why it happened and what they should do about it. And we are 2,000 years removed from that as a historical event, and the questions that remain aren't so much questions of fact as they are questions of perspective. And so my question and my topic tonight is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Here are four different perspectives from the crucifixion account. For some, he was a servant. For some, he was a servant or, or even a slave. And this was the perspective of Judas. Now, here's, here's what I mean. Matthew 26, we're going to look at verse 15. Then we're going to go over to Exodus 20. Matthew 26 and 15 said, uh, Judas asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? That was the question that Judas asked of the high priest. And it says they gave him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. That's a very specific and a very significant amount of money. Look at Exodus 21 and 32. If the ox that gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins. 30 pieces of silver, and the ox must be stoned. Now, slavery or servanthood is predicated on the assumption that one person has the right to demand the services of another person. It places yourself, the owner, at the center of your universe, and your servant is in your orbit, following your commands and your orders, obeying your wishes. If you look at John chapter 12, the gospel of John chapter 12, you you see the account of Mary anointing Jesus with expensive perfume. You remember the account. There's actually three accounts in the gospels. Jesus accepted that honor and, and he said it was preparation for his burial just a few days later. But Judas was furious Judas was furious and said, this is a waste of money. You could have sold this perfume and and brought the money to the treasury and we could have helped the poor. See, now John, the writer of the gospel, was quick to point out Judas wasn't the least bit concerned about the poor. He was embezzling funds from Jesus' ministry. He just wanted more money to pull from. Now, most Jews in that day were waiting on uh, the Messiah to overthrow the Roman government and reestablish the throne of David. That meant those who were closest to Jesus or those who were closest to the Messiah would have places of honor and places of authority. They'd have money. They'd have power. They'd have influence. 
But after three years in Jesus' inner circle, it became clear to Judas that Jesus was never going to be the political revolutionary that he had hoped for. And Jesus was simply not fulfilling Judas's wishes and desires like a servant is supposed to. And so he betrayed him. He betrayed him for the price of a servant. To Judas, Jesus was simply a slave who didn't obey him the way he had expected him to. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a servant? Is he just a slave? You see, many people come to Jesus today thinking that when you're a Christian, you can get Jesus to do stuff for you. He's your cosmic Santa Claus, your genie in a bottle, granting wishes and bringing gifts because you've been good. If you're in trouble, you just ring the bell, the prayer bell of heaven, and call Jesus to come fix it. Jesus, bless my food. Jesus, heal my friend. Jesus, get me that job. Jesus, get me out of this mess. But there's never a humbling of yourself. Never a time when you realize that he's not here to serve you. You're here to serve him. And and for a lot of people, that's just not what they signed up for. That's not the Jesus they want in their lives. People betray Jesus every day because to them, he was just a servant who was supposed to serve their interest. And when their connection to Jesus no longer gets them influence or good impressions, no longer draws clients into their business, if it costs too much for them, or if he demands anything of them, it's no longer worth it. For some... Jesus is just a servant. For others, he's a secret. He's a secret. That was Peter's perspective. Look at Matthew 26 again, verse 69 through 75. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over to him and said, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, well, you must be one of them. We, we can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. You see, Peter was the one of the 12 who was blessed to receive the revelation of God that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But when Peter had the chance to proclaim him in public, he refused. He backed away. He retreated and then denied ever even knowing him. Peter was afraid he would be arrested. He was afraid he'd be tried and executed right beside Jesus. So instead of Jesus being his savior, Jesus was his secret. 
Who is Jesus to you? Who's Jesus to you? You see, there is no such thing as a secret Christian. Look at Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God and his angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Listen, you don't have to be a theologian. That's pretty clear. If we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is what Paul said. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, your, is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. See, salvation's not just an inner work. It's also an inside-out work. It starts on the inside, but, but it, it starts in your heart, but it expresses itself in a public profession of faith. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're not saved enough to confess it, you're not saved. I remember a presidential election not long ago where they were talking about the faith of one of the candidates. And some genius commentator said something that, that is pr pretty much to this effect. They said, it's okay for him to be a person of faith as long as that faith doesn't affect the decisions that he'll have to make. Think about that just a second. Listen, if your faith doesn't affect your decisions, you don't have any faith. There is no such thing as a secret Christian. In every person's life, there will come a time when you have to choose what you believe, no matter what it costs you. You need to have your mind made up way before decision time. Is Jesus worth the cost? Is Jesus worth the cost of claiming him? For some, Jesus was a servant. For others, he was a secret. For others, he was a circus act. He was a circus act. As a matter of fact, this was the perception or the, the perspective of the majority of the people that day. I want to read several, several segments from Matthew 27 and let you see what I'm talking about. Matthew 27, starting in verse 27, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters, and they called out the entire regiment. Now talk about overkill. They called out everybody. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, and they knelt before him in mockery and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they grabbed the stick, and they struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they pulled off the robe, and they put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. They played dress-up with Jesus. Look at verse 35. 
After they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. Verse 39. Some of the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries, the criminals who were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. And verse 47 through 49, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with, uh, with sour wine holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Let's look at verse 49. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Not concerned about Jesus, they were entertained by his pain. You see, for for some, the crucifixion of Jesus was simply entertainment value. They hung around Jesus for the same reason you hang around the circus. You want to watch the show. You want to see what's going to happen. You want the thrills and the agony. See, many of the people had been following Jesus during his ministry for the same reason. As a matter of fact, Jesus got sick of it and called it out one time in in John chapter 6. And it's the only time that's recorded, but I promise you he called it out more than once. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. (laughs) You know the biggest crowd is always when you have dinner after after church, right? The sudden spiritual thirst washes over everybody. Jesus said, nah, you're not here to hear the truth. You're here to have lunch. You're here because you heard I took the five loaves and two fish and I fed 20,000 people. You're hoping I'll do it again. And if you continue to read the passage, Jesus just says, it's not going to happen today, boys and girls. All I have for you today is the truth. The truth. You see, many of the people who came to the crucifixion that day were just there to mock him. They're just there to make fun of him. Some were there to gloat over their perceived victory. And others were just there to see what was going to happen. You see, people sometimes come to church for the same reason. Just to be around the excitement. To feel the pull of worship. Right? To see, to see lives changed. To join the causes that we support and stand for and serve. To, to experience the occasional miracle. Or even the conviction of hearing the truth of the word. Do you know that some, sometimes people, the Bible says that people would show up to hear the prophet Ezekiel preach, not because they were ever going to do anything about it, but simply because he was entertaining. They didn't want to hear what he had to preach. They just, it was just fun. He was just a good speaker. 
Some people come to find something to get mad about. Some people show up at church just to try to catch somebody in an inconsistency or in some hypocrisy. People come for a lot of reasons. But many of them never actually believe for themselves. Listen, there is is great danger in getting close enough to the fire to feel the heat, but not close enough to feel the burn. If you're close enough to soften, but not close enough to melt, you might just be deceiving yourself into thinking you have a relationship with Jesus when you don't. Why do you come around Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What's your your vantage point? What's your perspective? Is church just a cool place to meet good people and spend some time? Or are you pursuing a surrendered relationship with the Son of God? Are you trying to get Jesus to serve your self-centered interests? You're trying to soothe your conscience because you know you'd never admit in public to having a real relationship with him? You see, there were a lot of perspectives that day at the cross. A lot of different points of view. The facts weren't in question, but what it meant to all of them took many different forms. But there was one person, there was one person who understood. One person whose perspective we should share. On that first Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, the person who could answer the question, who is Jesus to you? The person who could answer it best was this man, Mark 15. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner. Anyone the, the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked to release a prisoner as usual. He said, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? For he realized now that the leading priests had only arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with lead-tipped whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Barabbas had an understanding of Jesus that was different. Barabbas knew he was going to die. He was on death row. He was just waiting. He he knew without a doubt that he was going to be executed for his crimes against the empire. As a matter of fact, crucifixion was generally the way they did that because they would leave the body of of the revolutionaries, they would leave their bodies hanging on the cross beside the busy road that passed by Calvary. So Barabbas knew he wasn't just going to be a criminal, he was going to be an example. When Barabbas heard that Pilate was going to put his name up against Jesus for the prized Passover pardon, 
I'm sure he barely gave it a second thought. Because by now, everybody in Jerusalem had, had heard about Jesus. They knew about Jesus and, and who, he, who he claimed to be and what he had done, even in prison. Why would anybody, much less Barabbas, think that he would go free and Jesus be crucified? But God had a plan that Barabbas didn't understand. You see, there's no record of Barabbas having anything to do with Jesus before this time. No record that he was ever, uh, he ever heard him preach. He, he, hadn't, he had not tried to use Jesus as a servant. He hadn't even had a secret relationship with Jesus. And he didn't even entertain himself by his miraculous works and his powerful words. It was on this day that Barabbas encountered Jesus for the first and only time. And it was on this day that he would be the first of billions through the ages of time to have this life-changing perspective of Jesus and his cross. On that day, Barabbas realized that Jesus was his substitute. Jesus was his substitute. See, I don't know if Barabbas made his way up to Calvary that day to see Jesus hanging on the cross. If it were me, I would have gotten as far away from there as fast as I could. But you can be sure of this. He knew for certain that Jesus was hung on a cross that was intended for him. He was guilty. He knew he deserved it. But somehow, it was Jesus on that cross and not him. Let me read two or three scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2. He personally, speaking of Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. He personally carried our sins in his body. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. It was our sin. Look at Isaiah 53. This was, on the, this was quoted in the video that we played right before worship. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We were just as guilty as Barabbas. But still, somehow, miraculously, it was Jesus on our cross. Of all the people in Jerusalem that day, the one who understood the things the most clearly was a murderer and a revolutionary. Jesus was our substitute. It was the taste of our sins that was so bitter in his mouth. It was the anguish of our sins that caused his sweat to turn to blood. It was the weight of our sin that crushed him. It was the punishment of our sin that bruised him. He suffered and bled and died in our place for our sin. 
He was our substitute. He was our substitute. See, the rest of the world can misuse and mistreat and misunderstand him. They can deny him and even betray him. But we know that he died on our cross. And the only appropriate way to respond to that is to give our lives to him in return. Giving him our lives the way he gave his to us. Taking up our cross every day the way he took up ours on that day. Who is Jesus to you tonight? Who is he to you? No matter who he has been, whether slave or circus act or your little secret, I pray that tonight you see him for who he is and accept him as your substitute. Would you bow your heads with me? We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.